The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you join me? Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We will finish the chapter this morning. Working from verse 32 down to verse 39. But let's begin together where we were last week in verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? and has outraged the Spirit of grace. For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is is last week's text, one I did not have to handle. Thank Jacob for, for doing that. But it is a... It's a harsh, it's a harsh teaching, a difficult um, rebuke, but it's followed by some great encouragement. I like preaching these encouraging passages. It made me think about being a dad, and you know there there are some times when 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 our children need a harsh rebuke. There are some times when, as a child, I have needed and still probably do need a harsh, a harsh rebuke. I need to know the truth. But just as as my parents always did their best to follow that with encouragement, so do I try my best to follow it with encouragement. And, And this is how the Heavenly Father is. He may rebuke us. At times it is harsh. But because of Jesus, there is, there's always encouragement. And so the encouragement comes in verse 32. But recall the former days after you were enlightened. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and Affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore do not throw away your confidence. Which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Yet a little while, 
The coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But those who have faith and preserve their souls. We read these, these words of, of apostasy. We go on deliberately sinning after receiving the knowledge. No longer remains for us a sacrifice of sins. We trample underfoot the Son of God, profane, profane the blood of the covenant, outrage the spirit of grace. We hear the words of the Lord, vengeance is mine. I will judge my people. It is a, a fearful thing. It is a, a scary thing. It is a serious thing. To fall into the hands of a, a li- the living God. These are, these are verses that would, would probably easily cause us to lose heart. And the reason why I think it, it might cause me to lose heart is because I know my heart and I know my tendencies towards sin and selfishness. But these are followed up by this encouragement that though it might be easy to lose heart, don't do it. Don't lose heart. Don't don't fall away. Because you're not among those. You're not among those. And so the writer of Hebrews encourages them, and he encourages them in two ways. If you're a note taker, here's our, our points. The first is he encourages them to remember the past. That's sort of been our theme this morning as we've sung together and read the scriptures together. He encourages them to remember the past. And then secondly, he encourages them to reaffirm, to stand firm. Encourages them to remember the past and encourages them to reaffirm, to stand firm. He begins by this encouragement to them to remember their past, verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. Remember, this, this is a real church. These are real people. This is a real letter written in a, a real context. And it's, it's helpful for us when we come across verses like this to, to really try and figure out exactly what it is historically that the author is talking about. So there is something in their life, in their past life, that they, after, as Jews, after having heard the gospel of Christ Jesus and coming to faith in Him, there is something in their life that they walked through that involved much suffering. There are some, for them, some former days. Days described as the endurance of a hard struggle with sufferings. And he calls them to recall these days, to remember 
these days. Now this, this word here, but recall the former days, doesn't mean just think about them. It means to carefully think back, to reconstruct those days and what took place in your mind, he says. And so what is he thinking of? Well, the timeline of, of history would suggest that he is speaking of, of a time about 15 years prior to um, when this letter was authored. And it would have been during the reign of Claudius over Rome. Claudius ruled from 41 A.D. to 54 A.D. And during those years, he expelled the Jews from Rome. He kicked them out. No Jews were allowed to remain in Rome. This is mentioned in history books. You can go to different Roman history books and find it there. It's also, and it should come as no surprise, written about in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostle, which is real life history in Acts chapter 18, verse 2. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome and he went to see them. So it was during the, the rule of Claudius when a great persecution arose against Jews and they were exiled. They were, they were kicked out of, of Rome. Now, this, this is, this is state-sanctioned, state-sponsored persecution. It is the, the text tells us, I mean, you're, you're living in Rome, you have a home, you have a business, you have whatever you're doing, and then here comes the edict, and you have to leave now. That means that your home is gone, your jobs are gone, your businesses are gone, and you leave with only what you can carry. And maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, yeah, but these brothers and sisters, they've been enlightened. That's the, the language here, after you were enlightened. So they're, they're no longer you know, Jews. These are, are Christians. Claudius kicks out the Jews. And why do the Christians have to leave? Well, the reason is because during this point in history, the Romans would have considered Christianity, just another Jewish sect, not a, a standalone religion. It's obviously closely related to Judaism. Christ was a Jew. The first believers were Jews. And so they viewed Christianity as just a Jewish sect. And so if, if the Jews are being exiled from Rome, then the Christians are as well. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is referring to. When he says, recall the former days under this reign of Claudius when you were expelled, exiled, and suffered greatly as you were kicked out of Rome. The writer of Hebrews says, remember back to when you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. 
I want you to notice that the writer of Hebrews is not calling them to remember back to the good old days, is he? No. Instead, he's calling them to remember the difficult ones. When they endured a hard struggle, a hard struggle. This, this word here for um, a difficult struggle is, is, is the word from which we get the word athletics. It was a physical endeavor. It was physical suffering. Remember back to when you suffered physically. Not only did they suffer physically, but look at how they they suffered emotionally. You were publicly exposed to reproach. This this word publicly exposed is the same language used for a public theater. If they were there in Rome to go to the theater and watch it outside, this, this is it. You were put up publicly as a show for the enjoyment of others to to laugh at you as you are run out of town. You're insulted. You're a laughing stock. You're ridiculed. And this this is sticks and stones, the physical that break our bones and then words that always hurt us. And then he says, and you were even sometimes being partners with those so treated. Meaning that even in this difficult struggle, as you suffered physically, you suffered emotionally, you were, you were put up to public ridicule, you stood side by side with those who were treated the same way. Remember those days. I, I, I read that, being partners with those so treated, and I thought, this is why we don't neglect the meeting together of the saints. This is why we don't neglect. Because there's great joy and encouragement when fellow brothers and sisters say, if you suffer, so will I. Remember back to those difficult days, the writer says. This should tell us something about how we view our lives. It is not the times when things are going well that really define us as Christians. The really significant times are those of suffering and difficulty and danger. It's those days that define us. It's those days that define us. Those are the ones that become for us a means of encouragement. Right? Hebrews is saying, make the effort to remember back to those days of difficulty and sufferings and hardships. Remember back to those days and be encouraged. Be encouraged. This is a complete and total countercultural view of life. Culture says that create for your life a life of comfort and ease. Like that's, that's why you 
Do the things you do. That's why you work the way you work. That's this, this what you're, you're, you're looking for in life. This is what culture says. Make, make life as comfortable as possible. If things are hard or difficult, just don't do those things. Go do something different. This is not the biblical way of viewing life. We must have a, a countercultural view of trials and suffering. Now, that does not mean that we should just seek them out for the, for the fun of it. Right? I mean, we're, we're, we're not just seeking out suffering and hardship and persecution just for the fun of it. But when they come our way, and church, they will come our way. And they, they've, they've come our way in different ways all, since Acts chapter 2. Worse for others, less for others. That's, that's history. And our, our following of Christ should cost us something. Even now, I feel like the writer of Hebrews, there's a, there's a greater suffering headed their way. We'll talk about it in just a second. I do believe there's a greater suffering headed our ways. Our children will suffer more for the gospel than we have. So part of our responsibility is to model and to show and to teach that when these difficult times come our way for the sake of the gospel, we should welcome them. More than that, we should even rejoice in them. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. These times of difficulty and hardship and suffering, these are the occasions that shape us. These are the days that give flesh and bones and sinews to our faith. They grow us. It's in these times when God shows Himself faithful to sustain us and to meet our needs. Look back on those days, He says. Remember those days. And remember how you lived through them. Verse 34, For you had compassion on those in prison. You cared for them. You, you loved them. This word here for compassion is the exact same Greek word used to describe Jesus' high priestly ministry towards us in Hebrews chapter 14, verse 15. It's not um, translated compassion in both places, um, but, but it's the same word. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. That's the word. To sympathize, to have compassion with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are is, and is yet without sin. What does he say? Remember back to those difficult days when you suffered and you were persecuted and you were put forward as public ridicule and you were, you were laughed at. Remember back to those days how, how those brothers and sisters who were with you were in prison and you were with them, and you had compassion on them, remember those days because they gave you the opportunity to live like Jesus Christ. He has compassion, and He has sympathy. 
That's His high priestly ministry. And those days gave you the opportunity to live like Him. And that's a good thing. Remember those days. Because not only did they give you the opportunity to live like Jesus, they gave you the opportunity to serve Jesus. Because He said so Himself. When we care for those in need, when we serve those in need, according to His name, we are caring for and serving Him. Matthew chapter 25. And they will also... Answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. The opposite is true. What you did to the least of these, you did unto me. Remember back to those difficult days. Remember how you responded in those moments. How you lived like Jesus. How you served others. Again, this is another reason why we do not neglect to meet together. Because meeting together and having compassion for one another is a means to live like Jesus and to serve Jesus. Remember how you had compassion for those in prison. And then remember this, and this, this one, I'm just being honest, this one is a tough one. This one's a tough one to take. I mean, compassion on those in prison is a tough one. If I go there, y'all got to have some compassion on me because I am not cut out for prison. I've said that all my life. I'm going to need you. This, was, this next one is tough, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Since you knew that you yourselves had a, a better possession and an abiding one. Claudius put forth, puts forth the edict, you must go and it is on. Your property is no longer your property. And it was plundered was plundered. They lost everything. And it seems that they took it with joy. With joy. I get frustrated at having to buy a permit from the government. They responded to the plundering of their property with joy. How? Because they had an eternal perspective. They had a, a heavenly view. Right? of Hebrews tells us how. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They had a heavenly view. They had an eternal perspective. And so when the plundering of their property took place, they responded in joy. This is the exact opposite of our human nature. But what is it that Christ calls us to? Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth 
and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These days of sufferings gave them the opportunity to believe Jesus' words and live them, and they suffered for it. After all, Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. He wants them to remember to remember how it was. Remember the joy that they had in the face of such extreme difficulty. Remember back to how they endured. Remember back to how they kept the faith. How they grew in their relationship with Christ and their relationship with one another. He knows that if they can remember this, then they will be encouraged to stand again when persecution comes. And the worst persecution is only a few years away under Nero. Claudius was nothing compared to Nero. And so remember the past, he calls them to. Remember the past. And in doing so, reaffirm to stand firm. Verse 35, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. See, church, if, if, if you can look back and see the gracious, sustaining hand of God in your life, then no matter your circumstances today, don't throw away your confidence in Him. He tells this church, look back. Look back at those difficult days. Look back at those hard days. Look back at the suffering that you endured. And, and therefore, now... Don't throw away your confidence. See, they, they, they were under some pressure. They were under some persecution. It wasn't from Rome. It was about to be. It wasn't. Who was it from? It was from these false teachers in the church that was call, calling them back to Judaism. And he's saying, remember, remember back to, to these, these greater sufferings that you endured. Remember back to those days. And now, in the face of these lesser sufferings, don't throw your confidence away now. When those greater sufferings come, don't throw your confidence away then. He's showing them that they have a reason to keep it. Don't throw away your confidence. His confidence here is your, your confident confession in Jesus Christ. Don't throw that away. Don't discard that. Because of some pressures. You stood firm then. You can stand firm now. Keep your confidence because there's a good reason to keep it. See, we gain confidence from the past. 
We gain confidence from the past so that we can have confidence for the future. That's his point. You look back at the past, the way that the Lord sustained you, the way that you endured, so that in these days, now you can have confidence to keep your confession of Christ and so that you can be confident that in the future, there will be for you a great reward. Because you have a great high priest who is there in eternity and he is waiting for us and he is going to come again and get us. So don't lose your confidence. There's a great reward. This is our great reward. If we hold fast now, we get Jesus for eternity. Donald Gray Barnhouse wrote, the, the Christian accepts the suffering, knowing that God is bringing him through to glory. And from the hope of the past to the hope of the future, he sees the connection running through his suffering like a thread that binds together. His life is like the turbulent rapids of a river. But he knows that the river comes from a still spring and is flowing to a calm ocean. In this knowledge, the Christian has settled peace. Why can't I write like that? We gain a confidence from the past so that we can have a sure confidence in the future that there is for us a great reward, a calm ocean. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Verse 36 is strangely written to me. Um, it's even a little stranger in the Greek. Endurance for you have need of. I, I, I found myself, as I, I read that verse, wondering how it, how it fits. Because how can the writer of Hebrews commend them for their endurance in the past? Right? Remember back how you endured. How can he commend them for their endurance in the past and then instruct them that they have the need of endurance now? That was the paradox for me. And here's how I came to make sense of that. And I think it is a very helpful reminder. It is for me anyway. You see, our ability to endure is not found inside of ourselves. Our ability to endure is given to us from God. 
You need him. You need his grace. You need his sustaining love. And you need it always, every day. You needed it in the past, and you will need it in the future. And I think what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, as you look back at the past and you see the way that you endured, don't for a second think that now you can do it without Him. We always have need for endurance because the sustaining hand of God in keeping us is what causes us to endure. It's not the strength of our faith. It's not our resolve. It is the grace of God. We have need always for endurance. An endurance that comes from Him. Why? Because those who endure to the end will be saved. Matthew 24. That, that is what this next phrase means. For you have need of endurance so that... There's, there's the, the correlation. So that... When you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Endurance gets it. When you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You need endurance because when you endure by doing the will of God, you receive what is promised. Here's what that means. That means that if the present involves suffering, then we can know that the future involves receiving. You have need for endurance now to suffer. And you can know that if you endure of the strength and the power of Christ in you, if you endure then you will receive what is promised. If the present involves suffering, we can know that the future involves receiving. And then he quotes um, a quote from Habakkuk, verse 37. For yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. This is a, this is a, a, a little bit of a rough quote from Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Habakkuk is, a, is an interesting, short book in, in the Old Testament. And it's, it's a book of, of Habakkuk offering a series of complaints. This is why I think he was Baptist. <laughs> the, the book starts with a complaint. Habakkuk chapter 1, 
O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are always before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. I just feel like that's probably what Rome felt like under Claudius for the Jews. I have a feeling that's what it felt like when Nero dipped Christians in pitch and set them on fire and fed them to lions. Where are you, God? How long is this going to take place? How long must we endure this suffering? That, that's, that's Habakkuk's question. How long will violence surround me, injustice surround me? The, the, laws, the laws are not even going forth. It's being perverted. Why are you turning a, a deaf ear? Why, why are you turning a blind eye? Why do you not care? That, that's, that's Habakkuk's complaint to God. And so the, the Lord offers some, some answers to him. I'll just give you one, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5, the next verse. He says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. I like this response from God. This response from God is, uh, Habakkuk, how about you stop looking at yourself and raise your eyes to the nations? And how about you look and see what I'm doing? Well, Habakkuk says, I'm looking and I'm not seeing. And I think God's response is, you're right, Habakkuk, because you don't see as I see and you don't know as I know. And you can't see and know the things that I am doing. But I am doing some things among the nations that you wouldn't believe if I even told you, Habakkuk. What does that mean? That means, Habakkuk, you've got to see with some eyes of faith. Because it might not make sense to you now, but one day it will become clear. This, this is how it goes in Habakkuk. Habakkuk complains, God answers. In Habakkuk chapter 2, he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and I will look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. I'll, all right then, he says, basically, I'm just going to go and look and I'm going to go and wait. And this is where the Lord says, verses 2 through 4, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets. So he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. 
Basically, God tells Habakkuk, Habakkuk, you go on up there and you're going to be there a little while. Pack a lunch, pitch a tent. It's going to be a minute. The vision awaits the appointed time. It might seem slow, but it will surely come. It won't delay. Now, not, not according to Habakkuk's timeline. It's delayed, but according to God, it's not delayed. To Habakkuk, you're going to need some endurance. You're going to need some faith. Justice is going to come. The violence and the insolent will be dealt with and God's people will be rewarded. But it's not according to your timeline, Habakkuk. That's Habakkuk chapter 2. Then Habakkuk chapter 3 is a prayer. And it's a prayer that sort of breaks into a worship song. And I just love the way it ends. Habakkuk chapter 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. What's Habakkuk realize? He realizes that there is joy in endurance and suffering. Because even in the midst of them, when things aren't well... When there's no figs on the fig tree, when there's no fruit on the vines, when the the olives aren't growing, when there's no wheat in the field and the, the herd is gone. By faith, I rejoice in the Lord. Because He steadies and secures my feet. And he makes me tread on high places. There is joy and endurance and suffering when we do so according to faith. The writer of Hebrews is saying, Dear brothers and dear sisters, this is who we are. Verse 39, But you, but we, are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. Remember the past. Remember the goodness of God. Remember the sufferings. Remember the endurance. Remember the the presence of God. Remember the encouragement of other believers. Remember the past so that you can reaffirm to stand firm for the future and have faith 
that there's a great reward. Have faith. That's, that's the call here. But of those who have faith. And guess where that takes us? That takes us to the great faith chapter of Hebrews chapter 11. That's, that's the con- context. Remember the past and have faith. And so I'm going to remind you of the people in the past who had faith. That's, that's the call there. And I, th- I think that answers a question that probably some are asking. And that question is, I, I hear you, but what if I don't have anything good to look back on? What if I look back and I just see a wake of destruction? What if I look back and I, I see a lack of faith? What if I look back and I see bad choices? Well, here's what I would say. I would say first and foremost, start now. Start now living by faith because one day you'll be able to look back and see it. To make the choice, make the decision to right now, starting today, build a life of faith. To start today and win the daily battles that come from difficulties and yet your faith remains. When the daily battles of seeing the hand of God and His sustaining power and love. Start today. And then second, be encouraged by the testimonies of others. So we should be encouraged by one another. And the way we are encouraged by one another is by not neglecting the meeting together as some are do. But we also gain encouragement by the testimonies of others that we find in God's word. And that's what Hebrews chapter 11 is. And I will meet you there next week. Father, thank you that you are good and gracious. You are good and gracious in the times of difficulties. In those days, you are just as sovereign as you are in the the good days. I am sure that there are times where we, like Habakkuk, want to raise our complaints to you. But may we, like him, come to a place of trust that manifests itself in worship. May we look back and see your gracious hand in the past, and may we trust it for the future. Knowing that if these days involve suffering that there is a day yet to come that will involve receiving a great reward. So would you grant to us the endurance we need to stand firm. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.